Welcome to the teaching podcast for Eubank Baptist Church. We are all about knowing more about Jesus and inviting others to do the same. We would love for you to join us on our campus on Sunday mornings at 8.30 or 10.45 and Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. This podcast is a place that you can listen to any teachings that you might have missed from our Sunday morning worship experiences. To stay connected, you can check out our website at www.eubankbaptist.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Eubank Baptist Church and Instagram at Eubank underscore BC. Thank you for being a part of the conversation and let's keep pursuing Jesus together. It was Warren Wiersbe who tells the story of a pastor and a a young child in the conversation they were having. And uh, the young child comes up to the pastor and he's very concerned and he, he says, Pastor, you have spend all this time talking about how big Jesus is and how we should be inviting him into our hearts and, and, and all of this. And th- this, this, this worry came over this child. And he, he said, Pastor, if, if I invite Jesus into my heart, he's not going to fit. And this pastor thought about it, but being quick-witted, said, exactly. He said, that's the point. Uh, he, he says, I'm so small. Uh, the, that's the goal is that Christ would stick out of us. And so today, church, I want to ask us that question. Does Christ stick out of us? As we come, and and I've loved going through Philippians. I love this book, and I've I've enjoyed our time together as we've been walking uh, through the book of Philippians. And as we come to the text this morning, we must be reminded of where we are coming from. And remember, it's a continuation of, of Paul's statements. We have such a disservice in the churches today that we take our, our, our sermons six to ten verses at a time instead of where they would have been read entirely in one sitting. And so we come to this point, remember, it was uh, challenging, Paul was challenging to not look to our own interests, but to consider others as greater than ourselves. He was considering the divine nature of, of, of Christ, and although he, he was God, did not consider being equivalent to God, something to be grasped. And so he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. But that's not where it ended, we know, because he defeated death. He took that sting of death. He rose from the grave. And we come to this phrase, and Paul's going to use this phrase, therefore, which means uh, I'm continuing what I'm saying. But he's going to continue on. And I think what it shows us is, if I could summarize Paul's mission or or, or philosophy thus far in this book, it would be something similar to this. If we know the identity, if we know Christ, if we know his activity, if we know what he's done, we will declare his supremacy. If we know who Christ is, if we know all that he's done, we have no choice but to declare his supremacy. Church, I would ask you, if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, would you just draw your sword with me? Would you go to Philippians chapter 2? We are in a a battle this morning. We've got weather. We've got a whole bunch of things against us, and we need the sword of the Word this morning. Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 12. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. I'd ask if you have found it and you are able to this morning, would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. God's word says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to do will and to work for his good pleasure. 
Do all things without grumbling or or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as light in the world. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you, Father, for this text. And God, I pray that you would challenge us this morning. Does Jesus stick out of us? Lord, take me, hide me behind the cross. Lord, today has nothing to do with me. And God, I pray that, Father, even right now, God, you are working in the hearts of us this morning. Lord, would you be with us? Would you guide and direct us? And would you challenge us, Lord, as we stand before the cross today, that, God, we might experience transformation. Lord, even if we've come in, Lord, we come in with burdens, we come in with all these things. God, today, would we lay them at the feet of the cross? Would you just speak to us this morning? Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There was a period of history from 1684 to 1688 that were known as the the killing years or the bloody years for Protestants in Scotland who were known as the Covenanters. And there was a man by the name of James Renwick who would be known as the last Covenanter to be hung. This had all come to pass because James VII had rose, who was a very staunch Roman Catholic king, who declared that Protestant worship was declared of heresy and the, the, the fullest extent of death was to be placed upon anyone who was caught. And so uh, James VIII even, or I'm sorry, James VII even began to issue indulgences to Protestant pastors who would renounce their faith and go back to teach the Roman Catholic ways. And there was a handful of... Protestant pastors known as the Covenanters that decided that they agreed with the sufficiency of Scripture over the sufficiency of the king. And so they continued to to, to preach and to teach underground. And James Renwick would preach and teach three years underground, just moving constantly from place to place. Until one night, as he was staying with his friend, his friend betrayed him. And James Renwick was arrested and very quickly sentenced to death. And on February 17, 1688, that sentence would be carried out. And as was the custom, he was usually allowed a few words, and this was meant so that you could have a, re- a, recant, a recantation of your crimes so that maybe the people would have mercy upon you, or that God would have mercy upon you. And he said this, he said, Death is the king of terrors, but today it has no hold. Let us rejoice this day in the Savior. And as they were marching him up to the gallows, he sang Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his name. And he said this right before, he said, Lord, make my death a seed for thy church. Sure enough, he would be the last person hung through the bloody years. And within just a few months, James VII was in exile for his political radicalism. And, and God used such a young man's life to do extraordinary things. You see, I believe Jesus stuck out of him. And so, church, the question is, does he stick out of us? Look in verse 12. It says, therefore, my beloved, 
As you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul begins this, therefore, we have again the continuation, the continuation of God's divinity, the, or Christ's divinity, the continuation of, of everything. And he brings us to this phrase that has been fought over, that has been misinterpreted, that has caused splits, that has caused fights, that has caused canceled fellowship meals all over the, the, the churchdom. And he says this, he says, work out your own salvation. No, I felt it. We're, we're Baptists in here, so everybody just tensed up as soon as I said that because we have that word work. We don't like that word, work. And, and, and permit me here because the phrase in Greek is the phrase katego uh, azo. And what it means is it's, it is a second person plural present imperative. Now I know I lost everybody in here except Nancy. And that's okay. It is a second person Plural, which let me translate this into, into Kentuckian for you. Y'all work out your salvation. It is a plural. The key of this phrase is not to lead one to the isolation of oneself, but the key of this phrase in the context is to drive people to the divine one, to the, to the Savior, to the Christ. You and Christ work it out. You see, the problem is, is we, we attribute this and we try to say it's a selfish thing. It's, it's for ourselves, but that's not it. It is a command for us to drive straight to Christ. It is not in isolation. It, given in context, the God of the universe, the one who took the sting of death, the word of all that, is working out the salvation together with us. And then we have this continuation of, of, the, of the fact that it's continuing. It's continuing on today. It's a present tense. It didn't end. It didn't move. It's continuing to work. We call that sanctification in the church. It's the process of growing near and growing each and every single day. But he says this. He says, work it out in an imperative. And this is a command. You see, it's not just an option. Paul's not giving these people an option. He's saying, y'all need to work it out. Y'all need to just work it out. Work it out with fear and with trembling. And we have a problem with that. But this text isn't meant to drive us to our own works. This text is meant to drive us to the Savior alone. You and him work it out together. That's, that's, that's the way the gospel is. Christ died on the cross. He offered the gift of salvation. But we have to accept him as Lord, don't we? He says work it out with fear and trembling. The first thing I want us to grab out of this this morning is if we're going to let Jesus stick out of our lives, we have to work at it. We've got to work at it. And, and this is a present command. It means a lot of work. It means a continual work. How many of you are going to get married and as soon as you get married, say, all right, honey, man, that was a great wedding. I'll see you in 75 years when I die. Or students, your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, doesn't text you for two months. You're probably not in that relationship anymore. I'm going to be honest. Paul states that we should work it out with fear and trembling, with reverence and with trembling. And what I love about this passage of Scripture is you come up to this, and, and as you see everything, uh, is Paul's commands in this. You see, so often we have this fear and trembling part, this reverence, this fear of, of God. And I know so often if you're like me, uh, well, hold on, Pastor. <laughs> Matthew 7, 1, judge not. Well, that's the end of the verse for most people. There's nothing else in that. The rest of that, there's nothing else. It ends in two words. 
It says, judge not that you will be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce that you will be judged, with the measure you use will be measured to you. But only God can judge me. That's right. In that Greek context of that justice, there is one just that is God. He is the one who can, who, who can, call, who can pass judgment on you. That should terrify us. Because that judgment is something that apart from the blood of Christ, we cannot win. We cannot. Because apart from the righteous salvation through Jesus, we've already been judged guilty. And we must work it out together. You and Jesus must work it out together. But what I love, what I love is if you've been around camp, if you've been around students, if you've been around people, when they get on fire for Jesus, something happens. And they begin to stand out. You see, when you begin to work it out, you begin to stand out together. Look what happens in verse 14. There's this command. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now listen. <laughs> I'm going to step on some toes. I didn't do this first service because I'm, I'm, I'm scared of first service. Uh, I think sometimes some of the churches I've served in, some of the churches I've been in, they're known more in their, more in their community for their arguments than they are for their love. I think sometimes, Christians, we can be known better for what we're against than what we're for. I led a, when I was in Nashville, I led a team of 43 people uh, in, in a brand new project, which means we had to start from scratch, we had to build it ourselves. And so if you've ever had to do that, what happens is whatever you did yesterday no longer works, and you've got to come up with something new. And so one of my uh, employees was a hot-headed in individual, and he got angry because whatever we were working on no longer worked. And suddenly he got mad. He, he threw the adult version of a, of, of a temper tantrum, and he asked me this question. He says, aren't you, aren't you upset? They keep changing it. They keep making us do these things. Aren't you upset? I was like, no, I can't change it. i got to do what they tell me to do. And I just tell you guys what they tell me that I have to tell you to do. But I realized something. You see, for this young man, his life began and ended with this job. Everything he was was invested in this job. And for me, that wasn't it. Mine was Jesus. I'm, I rose and I, I fell with Jesus. He says we, we begin to stand out when things change in us. We begin to stick out like a sore thumb. And we must recognize here, is this, as Paul says, that this crooked and perverse world, this uh, I'm sorry, crooked and perverse generation, you see, we, we, we try to think this is something new. Nope. This, is, this has been happening ever since God first called the, the, the uh, God, God first cast Adam and Eve out of the garden. God would raise people up. People would reject him. God would send somebody. They would reject him. And God would do something. They would come back to him complaining. And then they would repeat the process over and over and over again. It's nothing new. And so Paul says that we are to be lights in this world. Second thing I want you to grab out of this, church, is if we're going to let Jesus stick out of our lives, we have to embrace standing out. And that's one of the hardest things for us. Can I be honest? That's one of the hardest things for us. We don't like standing out. We want to blend in. We don't, 
those of you that, that, that are still in middle school, high school, you guys know that standing out is not a good thing all the time. You want to you fly under the radar. But this illustration shouldn't be uh, uh, too offsetting for us. But Matthew 5, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And he's encouraging these people, which, by the way, what I love about the Sermon on the Mount is the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Because these people are listening to Jesus. This is the first time Jesus is speaking to these people. And they have heard nothing but how terrible they were, how they will never inherit the kingdom of earth, how they were, uh, they're not as good as the Pharisees. They were put down. They had all these things. They were never going to, and there's nothing. And suddenly Jesus begins speaking and saying, blessed. Oh, that was mind-blowing. That's an extra point. Uh, He says this in Matthew 5. He says, You are the light of the world, a city that is set up on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand so that it gives light to others in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see your good works and give glory to your Father who who is in heaven. You see, here's the thing. People notice light in darkness. It's kind of hard. Do you ever have, if you've ever not had the opportunity, if you ever had the opportunity, go to Mammoth Cave. What they'll do is during that tour, they will take you into the deepest part of the cave, the innermost caverns, and they will shut off all the lights. And it is, it is dark. Like you can't see your hand. It is like oppressive. You kind of feel that just kind of pressuring on you. It's like, it's like this immense of darkness that just kind of crushes your body. And it's supposed to make you Just kind of reflect on the true nature of darkness. Unless you're on a tour like I was where somebody pulls out their phone to check a text message or whatever it is. And suddenly, that is the brightest thing in the universe. And everybody in this dark cavern suddenly is drawn to this device. But you see, church, this is is us. We are in a dark world. And we are called to be the light of that world. Nobody, nobody sets the light and puts it on a, uh, puts it on a lampstand, puts a basket over it. In fact, actually, I say nobody does, but unfortunately, many churches have decided that instead of bringing the light into the world, we should bar the church up against the world. Man, we take that basket. We slam that thing over the light. We don't want them to get in. We're happy with our light. We don't want anybody else to get it. Oh, ain't no darkness getting in here. But you see, the problem with that is that no light's getting out either. The problem with trying to bar ourselves against the people of the world is that if we're not going to them, society sure ain't. See, gone are the days where the church is the center point of the community. We, we have far too many things that are fighting and vying for attention We have far too many things that are vying for priority. We have far too many things that are vying for uh, their communication. And too many places are saying, if you're a sinner, we don't want you here. And and you know what? I might step on some toes and I don't care. Eubank, I am glad that we are a place of full of sinners that are saved by grace. Amen? And if that makes you upset, I'm sorry, we're moving on. But we are a place of sinners that have been saved by grace. We should not be in hiding. Hiding has got us to the point we're in now. Hiding has got us to the point where sin has become so more accepted than than anything else. Now, we shouldn't be (laughs) like some of the people who are more known for their hatred than they are the gospel. I'm sure you know exactly who I'm talking about. But we have to be sent on mission. Every single week I tell you guys you are sent. 
There's a purpose behind that. You see, the Great Commission doesn't leave us in this building. So often we, our church begins and ends uh, from, 1030 to 11, from, to, from 1030 to noon. That's just not how it is. Church lasts us the entire week. And we go, we worship, we're in the midst of things. We are sent on mission. Society is not going to drive people to Christ. If we're going if if to reach new converts, it's going to take place off of this campus. And that's not to say people will come in. It's not to say God still cannot do things. But the realization is we have Netflix, we have pool halls, we have bars, we have football, we have basketball, we have travel ball, whatever it is. They have places to go. And church just isn't a priority anymore. Leave me to our last verses this morning. Verse 16, he says, Holding fast to the word of life, so that the day of Christ I may be proud, that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. He says, Hold fast to the word of life. Hold fast to the word of life. I told us to draw our swords this morning. We have the sword with us. We should carry it with us. We should, we should, we should hide it in our hearts. Because listen, things happen. <clears throat> if we begin with, hold fast to the word of life. If you want to find the church become more irrelevant than it already is, let them leave the word of God. Let them abandon it. Man, you'll watch them lose it faster than Usain Bolt running five meters. It'll be so fast. Because we'll lose our footing. If we lose our, our foundation, if we lose our foundation, we lose our footing. Paul challenges them to hold fast. That I am proud that I did not labor in vain. You know the awesome part of my ministry, uh, this August I'll be celebrating 15 years in vocational ministry. And over that time, I have poured into students. I have loved on students. I have loved on adults. I have loved on people. I have poured into sweat, tears, blood, whatever. I have poured into them. And some of them, it's awesome because, you know, I get to see them. Some of them join the Army. Some of them join the Navy. Some of them are now serving in ministry. I have a, there's youth pastors or worship leaders. Some of them became nurses. Some of them got married. Some of them have kids. I had the joy yesterday of traveling for one of my old students' weddings. She got married yesterday, and uh, it's just so exciting that, uh, you know, she was so excited to see me that there was like 100 people in between me and her. She saw me, and she pushed all of those people out of the way to come give me a hug. That was so exciting. But I've also seen those who have been to prison, who are still in prison, who have given their lives to drugs, who have squandered everything, who still missed the entire point of Jesus. Listen, I understand Paul. Paul's saying, hold fast. Hold fast to what the word of life teaches us. Because can I tell you, if we don't, we lose that foundation. We lose that footing. And before you know it, you will find yourself in a place that you don't want to be, paying a price that's far higher than you expected it to be. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. He says, if he might be poured out as a drink offering on their behalf or offered up as a whole burnt offering in the service of the Savior, he would be glad. He could not bear to have lived in vain, but to spend his life for the glory of his Lord would have ever been a joy to him. Is that our joy? 
You know, we're talking about reclaiming joy. We're talking about this concept of joy in, 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 our, in our study through Philippians. What does our joy entail? Does it enjoy servicing the, serving the Lord or does it enjoy watching people fail? Some people love to watch people fail. And if you think about it this way, Christ is not supposed to fit. You know, we, we often say, you know, I want to invite Christ in my heart. I, I, I want to do that, and that's great. You know, I'm glad we have that analogy, but the realization comes is that Christ doesn't just want our heart. He wants our whole life. Because what happens is if you've ever done this, if you've ever went to go pour you some tea, some coffee, some milk, and you got a little distracted and, and wasn't paying attention, what happens? It begins to overflow. It begins to pour down the sides of it. It, 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 what happens to the liquid, it, it's, a, it's a physiological miracle because as you're filling it, the negative space that is in the cup is forcing that air completely out of the cup. But that air is continuing to push down. And what happens is once it fills up, that air continues to push down and it begins to pour over the sides. A little science for you. But Jesus cannot fit in your life. He shouldn't. He will overflow into all areas. You just can't fit in your heart. I'm sorry. Jesus begins to overflow into your life. He begins to overflow things. And that's what I mean. If you watch a kid that is so excited and so on fire for Jesus, what happens is they begin to change. Man, they're so excited. If you've ever been around an adult who has given their life to Jesus, things begin to change. And watch this. Just a as in 1 Thessalonians 3, he says, Now may our God and Father himself and the Lord Jesus Christ direct the way to you. And may the Lord make you increase or abound or overflow in love for one another and for all we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. Jesus overflows out of us. And that's the last thing I want you to see this morning. If we are going to let Jesus stick out of our lives, we have to pour out his excess to others. We have to pour out his excess to others. J.C. Ryle says it this way. He says, the Lord Jesus is just the Savior that the suffering and the sorrowful need. He knows well what we mean, and when we tell him in prayer our troubles, he can sympathize with us. And when we cry to him under cruel persecution, uh, let us keep nothing back from him. Let us make him our bosom friend. Let us pour our hearts before him, for he has great experience of affliction. And watch this. Paul says, if, if all this happens, if I, if I have to pour out all of this, if I have to give it all, he, he uses this for it. He says, I will rejoice. I will be glad and rejoice. And then he challenges, likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice. Paul ends this with a, with a, with a, with a note of rejoicing. And church, there is great reason to rejoice. We have wondrous reasons to rejoice. Paul calls us to work out our salvation. We've got to work at it. It's a continuation. It continues moving. We are to continue working at it. It's not just that we pray a prayer and suddenly our lives are magical. Because if you ask a new Christian, that's oftentimes when they're under the most persecution. They're being told that what they did wasn't real. They're being told that it didn't work. They're being told all these things. But God is continuing to work out. And then when you begin to work it out, what happens is you begin to stand out. Things begin to work and change in your life, and you begin to stand out, and people begin to ask you a question. Man, what happened to so-and-so? 
I need that. Why are you so happy all the time? I need that. Why, why are you the way you are? I, I need some of that. And what happens is when we pour out the excess, God is faithful to work. We allow Christ to pour into those around us who desperately need us. You see, church, it's not about how many people we can fit in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning. Listen, that's not our eternal impact. Hear me, when I, when, hear me very carefully when I say this. Our eternal impact is determined on how faithful we are each and every single day to reach people for Jesus. Our eternal impact isn't about how many people come in here, some happy, some sad, some angry, to fit in this sanctuary. But how many people are we sharing the gospel with? How many people are we investing in? How many people are we allowing Christ to, are we pouring out that excess? Are we pouring those things out and letting God radically transform them? Because as I said last week, church, the world is coming. The people that need Jesus are going to come. They're going to look different. They're going to sound different. They're going to smell different. And that's okay. We love them like Jesus did. And we share with them the radical truth that despite their sin, despite their ugliness, despite everything that's going on in their lives, God loved them enough to send his son Jesus to die on the cross, to hang there, to lay in the tomb, to raise again on the third day, and to offer them the free gift of salvation. If they would sacrifice themselves, if they would say, Lord, here's my life, you take it. That's why we're here. We have to work it out. We have to stand out. We have to pour it out. If you're here this morning, if you're honest with yourself, man, you've never made that step. You've never said, Lord, here's my life. You've never made Jesus the Savior of your life. Here in a moment, we're going to have what's called a time of invitation, and there's nothing special in this time, but it's an opportunity that we want to provide for you to respond to however God has moved this morning. If you'd be here and you'd be honest and you'd be saying, you know, you're a sinner, you believe that Christ died for your sins and you confess him as Lord, this is the time for you. Pastor Aaron will be up front and I'll be up front. We'd love to talk to you about it. Or maybe you're here, you've been a Christian for several years. But if you're honest with yourself, you're just not where you need to be. You would say, Lord, I've got to come rededicate. I've, I've got to come back to you. I've got, I've, got to, I've got to recorrect my path. This time's for you. If you're here this morning and you just be honest and you say, man, I think God's doing something in my life. I don't know what it is. I think it might be missions. I think it might be ministry. I don't know what it is. And you'd be honest and you'd just say, Lord, what does it look like for me? This time's for you. If you're here and you're saying, man, I've been looking for a church that, that, that is going to be stagnant, that's not going to go anywhere, it's really going to blend in, not really love on me, it ain't here. But if you're looking for a church that's interested in loving on their community, that's loving on you, we'd love to have you. During this time of invitation, whatever God has been speaking to you about, whether maybe it's baptism, whatever, it, whatever God has been working in your heart, whatever God's been doing in your life, we want to know about it. We'd love to hear This altar will be open. There's a now cushion down there so you don't hurt your knees as bad. My prayer is that your burdens, those, those people that you say that we're going to pray for, my, my prayer is that this altar will be full of people that are praying for them. Whatever, maybe it's you. Maybe you've got something going on in your life. You would be just at this altar laying it out for the Lord. 
during this time of invitation, it's not just for us to stand and look at the singers while they come up here and sing. It's a time for us to respond to how God is moving in our lives. And we should be faithful to admit God's doing something in each and every single one of us. Students, those of you that went to camp, God moved y'all that week. My prayer is, gosh, I want some of y'all to show these people how it's done. You showed me how it was done. Father God, I thank you for today. Lord, God, this morning, would you be with us? Would you challenge us? Would you guide and direct us? Father, during this time of invitation, God, would you take us outside of our comfort zone? Lord, will you be faithful to, 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 to come and pray for those that, that we know that God needs you? Lord, would we be willing to say, God, here I am. Lord, what will you do with my life? God, would we be willing to say, Lord, I need to come to you. Father, I need you as Savior. Lord, during this time of invitation, God, we have so many things that, that we, can, we can pray for, we can do. And Lord, I just pray that God, ultimately, let us respond to you this morning, whatever it may be. God, let us be faithful to hear, God, how you are moving. Father, I pray that during this time of invitation, Lord, you would unite us as a church. That, God, we would desperately and, and, and earnestly seek to see you move. God, I pray so selfishly. Lord, would you just begin revival this month? God, would you just begin with Pastor Aaron and I? Would you just begin to work in our hearts to revive us? Lord, would you begin to work in the rest of our staff here at Eubank? Would you begin to revive us? God, would you just move in a way that we can look back and we say nothing of us, but all of you. Father, we go into our time of invitation. God, I pray that, we use, that you would speak, we would listen. We love you and we thank you. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.